Uh, good evening. Good evening. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, I am Jeff Jr., uh, Stephen's son. Or, yeah, I'm Stephen, I'm Jeff's son. Um, and he asked me to take a Bible study tonight while he is away on a conference. So um, let's pray and we'll get started tonight. Uh, dear Father God, I thank you so much for tonight, uh, just for this day, for the sunshine, for uh, the rain that's going on somewhere in the valley right now. Uh, just thank you for your creation, for all the things that you give to us, Father, and for all the things that you choose not to. Uh, I just pray that you would just uh, give us wisdom and that you would just give us discernment as we look into your word and that you would uh, just bless the, the reading and the teaching of your word tonight. And pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Uh, I am uh, going to be a senior this year, this coming school year, at uh, Southwestern Bible College up in North Phoenix. Um, I'm going to graduate with a bachelor's degree in biblical studies. Um, and over this past year, it's become kind of my heart's passion um, for apologetics, um, teaching uh, worldview, philosophy, and, and what the Bible has to say about that. Um, kind of one of my favorite verses is Matthew 22, 37, where Christ is, is teaching about the, the greatest commandment. And he says, you know, the greatest commandment is to love God with all your, your heart, your soul, and your mind. And I think that as far as it goes with our heart, there's in the past you know, 20, 25 years, there's been a real resurgence of, of worship, of emotion, and, and we're getting back into the emotion of worshiping God and loving God that way. And as far as our soul, our will, you know, um, we do a good job with that too. I think if I had to say probably one of the weakest areas that we struggle in the American church is loving God with our mind. Um, we live in a society that's largely biblically illiterate and, and it doesn't really understand the, the underlying philosophies and, and worldviews that people are coming from when they espouse all kinds of ideas. Um, and so I kind of have felt that, that it's going to be one of the callings in my life to try and defend Christianity from, from the world and, and sometimes Christianity from Christians. There are Christians out there that have some pretty wacky ideas. Um, but to really get back to the text, see what it says, and, and to help people to understand um, why that's important and, and where where all these ideas are coming from and, and why they're coming out uh, the way that they are. Uh, so we're going to be in the book of Second John tonight. Uh, we're going to go through the book of Second John. Uh, it's a short, short book before you get worried. It's only uh, 13 verses. Um, but this book deals largely uh, with false teaching um, and heresies of the day, ideas that were starting to get uh, spread around in the church that, that were not in line with the, the teachings of Scripture, that, that were false when held up against to who Christ was, what he did, and the central message of the gospel and, and of Old Testament, New Testament scriptures. Uh, actually, the last several books of, of our scripture, First and Second Peter, First uh, and Second John, uh, Jude, all deal with false teaching because it was it was predominant back then. It was relevant then, and I think it's just as predominant and relevant today. So it's important that we take a look at it. Second uh, John was was written to um, a lady in. Uh, an unnamed church by John. Uh, and so let's uh, hop down to verse 5 um, because that's an introduction to her. Uh, and he talks about how it's it's good to, to talk to her again and, and all the, the things that he's seen in the, in the church there. But he really gets into the meat of it in verse 5. He says, But now I ask you, lady, not as if I were writing a new commandment to you, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. 
Now this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning. Thus you should walk in it. John says there are a couple things that you need to understand as pertains to your Christian faith. And I think in, in this book, backing up a little bit, Second John, I think it shows there are, there are about four truths that we need to understand about Christianity for the sake of Christianity so that we can, can understand it properly, that we can view it properly, and that we can defend it properly. And this is the first one. It talks about this commandment. Um, keep your finger there and go back to uh, the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 14. Now, starting in verse 15. John says in, in his epistle that the commandment that we've had, that he's giving, is not a new commandment. It's a commandment that we've had from the beginning, and it's that we love one another. So if we go back to the beginning, John's gospel, this is the teaching of Christ, right before he's crucified. He says in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. Uh, skip over to chapter 14, verse 21. The person who has my commandments and obeys them is the one who loves me. 14.23, Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my word. 14.24, The person who does not love me does not obey my words. Uh, and then he goes on in chapter 15, uh, and he says in 15.10, if you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I've obeyed my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Jesus says over and over and over and over and over again in these, this relatively short passage, right before he's arrested, crucified, the last words that he's speaking to his disciples almost, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Pretty straightforward. So then the natural question would be, okay, what is this commandment? What did he want us to do? If it's so important to him, you'd think he would tell us. Well, he does. In chapter 15, he says it in uh, verse 17. This I command you, to love one another. Um, the commandment is this. If we love God, we'll obey what he says. And he says, this is what I'm telling you. Love each other. So you get the picture here that in order to love God, we must love others. I think in today's world, we've kind of separated those two. We have our box over here where this is our relationship with God, and we have things going well over here. You know, we're reading His Word, we're praying. We're... And then we have our box over here, which is uh, everybody else, our horizontal relationships, all the people that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, Christians, unbelievers, and we have our relationship with that. And either that's going well or not so well. God, through Jesus in this passage, combines the two in such a way that they cannot be broken. He says, God is telling us if you love me, you must love others. That's why um, it says in 1 John 4.22, I think it is, that if you say you love God and you hate your brother, the truth is not in you. You're a liar. Because how can you love God who you haven't seen if you can't love your brother who you have seen? We have to love others if we are to love God. And that's why John says in his epistle that this is not a new commandment. This is not anything that I'm throwing at you that is, that is revolutionary. This is, this is back to the basics. This is what Christ taught. This is what we are still to follow in the church now. And that brings us to one of the first, the first truth that we have to understand about our Christianity is that there's nothing new 
about our Christianity. And what I mean by that is the, the commandments that we've been given are the commandments that we're still to follow today. All the, all the new things, all the, people, all the people that would have you believe that there's something undiscovered about your Christianity. There's something left uh, that we haven't been told about our spirituality or there's a new way to get closer to God. John, John says, I'm not giving you a new commandment. This commandment has been around since Jesus. And it's the same commandment that we need to follow today. So the first thing we need to understand is that our Christianity is grounded, it's solid, it has been revealed to us what we are to do. And the commandment to love others and to love God has not changed, and it will not change. So we need to ground our faith in that. And all these new things that are coming at us, really, you know, we need to, we'll get to that in a second, we need to, we need to test them, we need to try and understand them, but if they don't fall in line with that, we need to ignore them. Uh, so John goes on from there, uh, and he says... In verse uh, 7, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, people who do not confess Jesus as Christ coming in the flesh. This person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Now what he's saying there is he's not doesn't mean that they're literally you know, the antichrist, the person that is going to come and set up their kingdom on earth and you know all that stuff in Revelation that you guys have just been through. It's not that necessarily. But what he's saying is anybody who does this, who deceives, who, who teaches falsely about Christ. They are paving the way for the Antichrist, the Antichrist, because they are teaching in the spirit of the deceiver, Satan, and the Antichrist. They're laying the foundation and the brickwork for this future kingdom that is going to come, because they're spreading the same kind of philosophies, the same kind of teachings, the same kind of ideas that are going to be the very foundation that the Antichrist and Satan uses to build their, their kingdom later on. Uh, in the epistle of 1 John, we'll go there for a second. John talks about this a little bit more uh, in 1 John chapter 4, starting in the very beginning of that chapter. And he gets a little bit more in depth on this. Uh, he talks about deceivers and, and their, their teachings. He says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to determine if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus as the Christ who has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and now is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have conquered them, because the one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world's perspective, and the world listens to them. We are from God. The person who knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deceit. John says we need to pay attention to the false teachings that are out there. Not that we might believe them, but that we might be aware of them. Because we have an obligation and a responsibility from his, what he teaches in 1 John to test the spirits to pay attention to the philosophies and the, and the teachings that are out there and to determine whether they're of God or not. And John really only gives two options. He says, if what they're teaching teaches that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, who has come in the flesh, in bodily form, then listen to it. It's from God. But if the teaching denies Jesus, if it denies that he's the Christ, if it denies that he's come in the flesh, if it denies anything about his deity, then ignore it. It's a deceitful spirit. It is not something that we need to pay attention to. And that's the second thing we need to understand about our Christianity. The central belief of your Christianity, of your faith, 
has to do with the most important question that anyone can ever ask themselves. Who is Jesus? And that is what our whole faith is based on. That is what every philosophy in the world has something to say about. But really, only Christianity is the one that confesses Jesus as the Christ coming in the flesh. And that's why all these other things we ignore. John says, what you have to say about Jesus, what people teach about Jesus, is the most important thing that anyone can teach about. And how you believe about Jesus is obviously going to be the most important thing that you believe because it's going to determine your eternal destination. So John says, first of all, you need to stick to the first commandment. It's love. Nothing's new. Like Solomon said, nothing's new under the sun. We need to stick to what we know. And the second thing is this. Christ is the centrality of your faith. You can't believe anything more importantly than what you believe about Christ and who he is. So John moves on after that to verse 8. It says, watch out so that you do not lose the things we have worked for, but receive a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not remain in the teachings of Christ does not have God. The one who remains in this teaching has both the Father and the Son. The third truth that we need to understand about our Christianity is that these doctrines, these teachings, these ideas that are out there are not out there. They affect us directly. Because John teaches that we need to watch out. We need to be careful. As Peter would say, we need to be sober and vigilant because what we believe about these ideas and, and teachings can affect our spiritual life. John is not the only person that talks about Christians receiving a reward at the end of their earthly life. It's found in uh, Revelation, I have it here somewhere, Revelation uh, 11, 18 and 22, 12 are also passages that talk about Christians receiving uh, heavenly rewards for how they ran the race on earth. And so we need to be careful because the things that we interact with, the things that we get ourselves caught up in while we're here, will determine how well we're rewarded or not so well rewarded in heaven. Because he says here too, it's it's not just going to affect you and it's not just going to affect you know, how many crowns you get or how many diamonds in your crown or whatever that is. It's going to affect other people around you. It's going to affect the body of Christ. Because he, he mentions here, we need to watch out that we do not lose the, so that you do not lose the things we have worked for. He makes it corporate. This is the body of Christ. We are working together to bring about the kingdom, to, to further the work of Christ, to continue to teach uh, and to, to bring people into the light of what he has taught us and to help people to understand what he's done for them, what he's done for us. And if we fall into, if we get sidetracked by all the things that are out there, if we get caught up in, in false beliefs, if we get sidetracked from Christ and who he is and what he's done, we run a very high risk of losing all those things that we've worked so hard for. And it's, it's important because some of those things can sneak in very, very subtly. Um, it's one of those things that it, it can sneak up on you. There are many, many things out there that, you know, Satanism doesn't flash itself in big neon letters, you know, on the highway, you know, convert to Satanism, you know, it's the way to go. People don't work like that. Satan doesn't work like that because he knows that, you know, if he smacks you in the face, you're going to know what hit you. But if he sneaks something in, if he makes it, you know, look good, if he wraps it up all nice and neat, puts a bow on it, and he hands it to you in a way that you think this is something that could help you, or maybe it's not has anything to do with my Christianity, but it's harmless, that's where he gets us. And that's what John says we need to watch out for because we can so easily lose those things that we've worked for. And we can so easily compromise our Christianity, compromise our beliefs that are central to what we believe 
And that's why it's important that we be on our guard. And that's why I think that it's important, as I've said before, that we learn to love God with all of our mind. Because it's it's on the the philosophical and intellectual battlefield that a lot of these a lot of these ideas um, it's in the papers that are coming out by PhDs that a lot of these things are pushed forth. That's where postmodernism came from, um, and that's still where it is right now. It's being it's mostly grounded in in the uh, the doctors of the major universities and, and that kind of thing. And those are where the battles are fought. So. You don't have to be a doctor to understand them, but you do need to have a working knowledge so you know how to defend against them. If someone comes at you with postmodern thinking, you should know how to, to at least redirect it, if not completely refute it. Because we have to. We have an obligation, as John said, to test these spirits, to determine which where they fall, and then to, to stick by those judgments and to help other people make those same judgments. So John says after that uh, in verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, which he just mentioned earlier, the teaching that Jesus is the Christ, come in the flesh, do not receive him into your house and do not give him any greeting, because the person who gives him a greeting shares in his evil deeds. He's not saying to insult people, because, you know, it seems like, you know, shut your door in someone's face, that's kind of insulting, it's rude, we're supposed to love everybody, not, you know... Give people black noses, you know, black eyes, bloody noses, that kind of thing. But it's important that we don't compromise by being nicey nice. There's a difference between loving everyone, loving others as we uh, ought to, and compromising of playing nice, of rolling over, um, so that someone else, you know, can can feel good, and to submitting. Christianity can be very uh, rigid in certain areas, and I think it should be very rigid in many areas. There are areas of our Christianity, such as who, what we think about Christ, uh, what we believe about Christian conduct, about our morality, about the way that we are to behave in light of who God is and what he's taught us, that cannot move. And when these ideas come into conflict with those rigid stances, we should not move. Um, and if people take offense at that, Oh well. Belief is more important than making people feel good. I know that's not very nice to say nowadays, and that probably comes off um, as obnoxious or narrow-minded, um, but it's, it's the way that we need to be if we are to stand for effectively the things that we, that we believe and the things that we, we know to be true. Uh, so John says here, the principle that he has for us here is that Say uh, someone comes to your door. Um, I'm not going to mention groups. Comes to your door, knocks, and um, they have they have uh, you know something to share with you. Okay, might be a good uh, apologetic opportunity if you are if you uh, have enough knowledge, enough training to be able to converse with them on that level. But to you know bring them in, give them a drink, you know refresh them, that kind of thing. To treat them like a Christian brother or sister. Basically, is what he's saying. Don't do it because you are, in some way, shape, or form, aiding them in their mission, which is contrary to what your mission ought to be. You're aiding and abetting the enemy, is basically what he's saying. Now, maybe they don't know that they're the enemy, but we ought to. We ought to know enough to know that hmm, what they're saying is not what Scripture teaches. And because it's not what Scripture teaches, I ought not to be a part of that give you a good example. Uh, one of those things that I've learned 
um, in one of my philosophy classes that I took this past fall. Um, yoga, great example. Um, I did not know this until this past fall that um, because I was in, I, I'm going to testify this, I had a, a spell this past summer where I was starting to get into Tai Chi. Um, and, you know, it was great exercise, and uh, I had broken my leg a couple years ago, and it was good rehab for that, you know. Um, until I found out what Tai Chi was all about, other than the, the purely physical, the exercise. The underlying worldview, the underlying beliefs behind Tai Chi and yoga are what makes it offensive to Christianity. Uh, yoga is an example because the primary belief system behind yoga is Hinduism. Hinduism is a belief system that believes in many, many gods. In fact, they have, uh, I think, close to a billion different gods um, because they believe that if you work hard enough, if you are uh, live in a certain way, that you yourself can become a god eventually. And so you can become your own god. Um, that's why there's so many of them that they believe in. But what yoga does, yoga is designed by the Hindu belief system to uh, align the energies in the body to... to um, change uh, the focus, the, I guess the energy, the, the flow of, of your metabolism in such a way that it, in, it invites, um, I don't know any better word for it, possession by Hindu gods. Um, what it does is it, it, it brings about such a way that your body is ready to become one with the one, the, the life force that they believe is behind all life, behind everything. Now, a lot of people don't know that. And because of that, they, they are told, uh, especially here in the States, that yoga is a great form of exercise, uh, so is Tai Chi. Um, all these things that come from the Eastern belief systems that, you know, it's just good exercise, you can go with it, it's no problem. The problem is that there are Hindu yogis who themselves will say there is no yoga that is purely physical. Because what it was meant for it was never the physical. It was meant for the spiritual. Um, the physical... Any, anything that you might gain from the physical aspect of those things is purely coincidental. It has nothing to do with the main focus of it. And because of that, I think in America, too, we've fallen into uh, what's called syncretism. And this yoga, tai chi, all those things, the beliefs that we unwittingly take, um, the ones that come in the back door, the things that you know we don't see coming, that we make a part of our everyday lives because, hey, it's harmless. It has nothing to do with my Christianity. In fact has everything to do with your Christianity. In fact, it's contrary to your Christianity. And syncretism is a big word that I learned in college this year. That's what they pay the big, big, big bucks for. Um, that means taking the hodgepodge of all different kind of belief systems and combining them in such a way that it works for you. Um, I like this from Buddhism. I like this from Christianity. I like this from the New Age. And I'm going to combine them all in such a way and I'm going to make my own religion. problem is it doesn't work. Because all of those different belief systems, uh, systems are they contradict each other, and some of them contradict themselves, and they can't hold up when you, especially you know when you put them all together like that. But people do it, even if they don't know that they're doing it. Um, so that's an example of that. And Paul or John says, we need to be careful of that, and that's the fourth thing that we need to watch out for that we need to understand about our Christianity is Christianity is not compatible with syncretism. Uh, it was never meant to be compatible with any other belief system. It was never meant to be, be compatible with any other ideas, with any other uh, false teachings. There is no room in Christianity to give in those areas. So it's not necessarily narrow-mindedness. It's standing firm on what on what Scripture says. It's standing firm on what we believe. And it's holding to that. 
Um, and that is not called narrow-mindedness, that's called conviction. Um, and we are all entitled to conviction, especially as Christians, we need conviction. We need more people of conviction, of firm, firm faith that cannot be shaken. Uh, because we live in a world today where faith is questioned everywhere you go. And, you know, it might be good for you, but, you know, it's not good for anyone else. Uh, we need people who can stand up against that, who can who can hold up scripture, who can hold up other belief systems, and and can show them to be what they really are, who can shed light on the, the confusing areas for people. Um, and so I think that it might be one of those things uh, that I think all Christians are called to it by Christ's command in, in Matthew twenty two thirty seven to love God with all our heart, our soul, and our mind. I think part of loving God with all our mind is understanding these things, being prepared to, to talk with these things. These are not things to be scared of. Um, this is the world we live in, and so we must be prepared to, to live in it uh, as participants, not as watchers. You know, I think we all too often, especially you guys coming out of Revelation, we can get caught up in the future and looking towards the things that are ahead and not really worrying about the things now because it's going to be so much better someday. The problem is it's not that day right now, it's today. And we need to be ready to, to grapple, to wrestle with people uh, because there are still souls that are that are being fought over. There are still people that need to be shown who Christ is, what he's done for them, and that need to be uh, shown how they can change their lives, that what they believe, why they can't believe what they believe, uh, and, and, and hold any kind of consistency. Um, and they need to be shown what the truth is. Uh, so I think that from Second John, this is a, a good challenge to remember those things. Remember that, you know, your Christianity is the same that it's been back in Christ's time. What he said still goes. And if it conflicts with that, then it conflicts with, with everything else. And that Christ is the center of our Christianity. What you say about Christ is the most important thing that you can say. And what you believe about Christ is the most important thing you can believe. And that we also need to be careful because it affects us. It's not just an idea. It's just not a philosophy. It's something you know up in this world of thought that doesn't affect us. It is very applicable because it affects our uh, eternity. It affects other people's eternity and affects the work of Christ right here and now. And then finally, that our Christianity is not compatible with any other belief system. It was never meant to be. God never designed it that way. And so we need to be guarding extra carefully against um, against those things. And part of that is understanding all those belief systems that are out there so that we can identify them when we see them um, and help others identify them as well. So um, does anybody have any questions, comments, concerns? Yes? Yeah, I have a question. Um, Growing up, I've had different friends who are different faiths, and I know it talks about that you shouldn't argue, you know, to the point where you're arguing your faith or whatever. So, I mean, where is that line because I mean I, I, I'm I very open with my friends about my beliefs and and that I'm a Christian and I love God and all this um, you know and then there's other people right. who have their beliefs and so I mean where, where is that line? Yeah uh, I think you know and I don't mean to sound trite here because I believe that prayer is, is probably the most underused weapon that we have um, but the first thing that, that I would think is a necessity is that they, people that um, we have an opportunity to, to, to dialogue with, to talk about about these things, they, they need our prayer. They need our support, um, even if they don't know they're getting it. Um, and beyond that, when, when opportunities do arise, um, first, I want to know if, if they're even open to talking. Um, if it's something that they're still staunchly entrenched in, 
then maybe you don't want to go there because, you know, like you said, you don't want to be divisive. You don't want to cause an argument for the sake of argument. Maybe they're not ready to hear it yet. But if the person is is open uh, to discussing it, if the person is is open to um, really trying to understand, um, and a good way to, to use it is if someone is really concerned about the truth, no matter what it means, um, no matter what implications it has, no matter if it means that they're right or if they're wrong, um, if they're really open to discussing about truth, to trying to find it, um, to come to an understanding of it, and to have it for themselves, then that's a good place to start. And from there, you'd want to you'd want to um, take uh, you want to start with uh, depending on what the belief system is. Um, sometimes logic. Um, there are a lot of belief systems that are logically just out there somewhere, and they don't make any sense. They're out in left field. Uh, there are other belief systems that. With the way that the world is, they just don't work. Um, and so there are many, many different places that you'd want to start, um, you know, uh, unless it's a more specific religion or belief system that you're dealing with. I guess those would be the very general places that I would start, um, you know, first with prayer and then with... I guess my question is, is um, because I, I always pray for, for the people that are in my life sure. that aren't saved, um, but I guess my question is, is... Um, if I if I'm a believer and then I have friends that aren't, am I number one already putting myself in a bad situation because they're not believers and they're most likely very firm in whatever their belief is, just as I am in in mine. But you wanna, it's like you wanna win them over, right. but you don't wanna argue your right. your point because you're trying to win them over. Right. So. It's, you know, I find um, that it's hard. Sure. Well, I mean, certainly you'd want to limit the amount of time that you, you spend with people, especially if they're really deep into something. But uh, I think we're called to to talk with people. We have to. Um, a message kept to ourselves isn't going to change anyone else's life. So we we need to talk. We need to we need to discuss these these things. We need to bring what we believe out into the open forum, and it needs to be discussed. Um, it needs to be shown for what it really is. Um, and you know, yeah, it's hard to strike a balance because, like you said, you don't want to you don't want to turn people off. You don't want to drive them away um, by being a fanatical Christian. Well, I've had to let go. Of, yeah. To be honest with you, over time, I've I've really had to, you know, I'm not making any ground. This person is very right. Well, not go to church. Right. Does not want to hear about God. You know. Um, but then at the same time, you know, a, a closest friend of mine has really become. <coughs> Well, and for those know. people who, you know, they get pushed away, you know, one of the hardest things, yeah, and one them. of the hardest things I've had to learn is that I am not responsible for their response. Uh, I seem to feel early on um, in junior high and high school when I would see people and they would just whatever, you know, yeah. think I'm blowing smoke. I would feel guilty. I would feel responsible for. For their response, that they, but you know, the more I came to understand about what the gospel message is and how it works, that I have an obligation to share it. Right. And at that point, once I've shared it, my obligation is ended. What they do with that is is up to them, and they will be held responsible for that. And for the person who has has pushed you away and has left, um, you know, there are some people, as Paul says, who, who sow. There are some people who water. You know, but God brings the increase. Right. And I had to learn again the hard way that. Um, I'm not necessarily responsible for the entire process in someone's life. You may have planted a seed that, you know, 15 years from now might go somewhere. 
Um, and that might be the only role that you play in that person's life. And that's a very hard place to be because for a long time I wasn't okay with that. Um, but you have to be, I think. And that's part of where faith comes in. Um, you know, if we could see all the results all at once, there'd be really no reason to rely on God to do a whole lot. Um, but where you say, you know, I'll do as much as I can, and if that's not everything, there's nothing really else you can do. So, yeah. I, I guess just to kind of respond to that also is the, the idea of sort of choose your battles a little bit too. The idea of, uh, you know, if there's, you know, what, these six, seven, eight uh, sort of fundamental beliefs of Christianity, I guess those are things worth discussing with people, but, you know, some of these these other little details, which uh, you, you might even get into extended discussions with other Christians, that right. is, you know, nothing but a waste of time and probably mm-hmm. will create more discontent in your relationship than mm-hmm. harmony and, you know, just let the Holy Spirit guide you as to what's worth yeah. worth fighting about and what's not. You know, one of the things I learned at Bible college really early on was that um, I learned what Paul meant by vain disputes and endless genealogies. <laughs> all those arguments that you get into about uh, systematic theology and all these really heady, nonsensical things sometimes that all they do is, is divide the body, all they do is bring strife between brothers and sisters, and they're really no good to anyone. Um, and like you said, you do have to pick your battles, you have to be... Um, grounded in those beliefs that you know are they are central, they are they are absolutely fundamental to what we believe as Christians. Christ, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus did rise from the dead. Um, he is God. You know those kind of things. Um, but you know, as far as you know, how many angels were created, or you know, you know, when Satan exactly fell from heaven, I, you know, you just want to avoid things like that, and they're really not for us to know. I just encourage Laura, something that really has helped me too is you, you really underestimate um, just you're living your life before your friends and you could be the only Jesus they ever see and it's not about the words that you speak sometimes. Certainly you have to take those opportunities when they arise, but, but you really do affect other people with your life and you don't realize how closely they are watching. And, and just by your living your life every day and, and um, living to the principles and raising a family or, or, you know, going to church and just all of those things sometimes really does speak volumes. And sometimes it takes a longer time than you would think, but they're watching. Yeah. I don't remember who someone, uh, I think back in uh, the Middle Ages said, uh, preach Christ at all times and when necessary use words. I kind of agree with that. I think that we should use words all the time as well, um, that it should be a one-two punch, but absolutely, that our life is to reflect what we can't always say. Um, And believing something hard enough, uh, well enough, firmly enough to change your life uh, speaks volumes, more than any words that we could ever say. And I think that the changed lives of those who do believe... um, is the greatest witness. Um, it certainly was with the apostles. Um, they were willing to die for it, just as we should be willing to. And that that rocked people's world. Um, people who were with him, who would know if he was lying, who would know if he was crazy, died for this, which which says he was. You know, and in the same way that our lives are our first words, 
Um, but we should also we should also you know strive to dialogue with people if they're willing to. But other than that, just keep living. Yeah. I think Steve, this has been a great great message tonight. Pam and I have been talking recently about the struggles between denominations uh, of Christianity recently and some of the beliefs. You know, for example, um, a denomination that might believe, hey, it's okay for a deacon or a bishop to be a homosexual recognized as such and accepted in the church and teaching in the church. And whether or not it's right in this day and age where, you know, everything's supposed to be acceptable Mm -hmm. and you're supposed to be politically correct, if it's, if it's the right thing to do to stand your ground and say, you know, God's word, which if we believe in Jesus, Revelation tells us that Jesus is the word, right? right? God's word says that's not right. right. <laughs> and so as much as we don't want to argue, and we're told not to argue amongst ourselves as Christians, I think you're right. We do have to stand our ground and our conviction and say, you know right. what? I'm sorry. That's just not valid. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, and that's one of the things that, you know, Christianity definitely has morals and, and things that uh, we are called to live by that are we're not to compromise um, on under any circumstances. And that's why we need to understand uh, those things very, very, very well. Um, I would say homosexuality is one of those things. There are moral standards that Christians are called to live by that cannot and should not be compromised on. And in that point, you know, there are absolute rights, absolute wrongs. This is what we're fighting against today. This is the predominant worldview. People say, you know what, that's good for you, but I like this better. Um, that there are no absolutes, um, that there are no 100% for sure right and wrongs, uh, and that, you know, that works for you, that's fine. It works for me, this is what works for me. So, But I want you guys to see something. Um, if someone makes a statement like this to you, what is this? It's an absolute. Yeah. <laughs> so by them saying this, they just defeated themselves. It doesn't work. It's not livable. You can't get away with it. Um, and by trying to live that out, you'll come to frustration if you really try and live it out to the fullest extent that you can. So it's okay for Christianity to have absolutes because absolutes exist. Um, they have to. They have to. So you're absolutely right. It's okay to take a stand on those kind of things because God tells us to. Very interesting when you start talking to people in other religions and you find, oh, you believe in Jesus Christ and you kind of get a little excited right. and you kind of pursue it a little more and then you find out but they don't believe that he was the Messiah and they don't believe in the Bible because the Bible's been translated so many times and right. you see how for every point you have they've got this negative point you know? right exactly and it really is very hard I mean you get to the place where either the relationship is going to suffer if you push it any further and you just back off but yeah. it's never the same again though yeah never that really happens that happens but that's the thing you know like I haven't really found many religions at all who don't have something to say about Jesus. Um, the problem is, uh, I know a lady who I talked to as part of my apologetics class who lives in my parents' community who's uh, a member of the Baha'i faith, um, and they believe that Christ was a prophet, just like uh, Islam does, um, just like uh, Buddhism does, um, that he was a prophet, he was a good guy, but he's not God. And, and he is, is no more than a man, um, if he even existed at all. 
Um, and the problem is, we need to understand, Christianity doesn't leave that option open to us. But Jesus wasn't just a good guy, because he didn't say he was just a good guy. He said he was God. So either he is or he isn't. Um, and that's where it has to be. You know, if he if he is, well then you gotta you gotta believe more than than what what most people say about him. But if he isn't, then he's not even a good guy because either he lied or he was crazy in the head, and nobody deserves to even pay attention to him. Um, and, you know, in scripture, you get into those things. You know, scripture is the most reliable ancient text that we have. Um, I don't think anybody in this room would deny the reliability of Plato, of Homer's Iliad, or the Odyssey, or anything like that. And we have um, fewer than 100, several hundred manuscripts of those. We have over 22,000 manuscripts of the New Testament, and they are all 99.99999% the same. Um, and that's the thing. The history itself confirms what we believe about Christ, about Scripture, about all these things. And really, we need to be prepared to point those things out to people um, when they do have those negative points, to counterpoint their counterpoint, in a sense, and um, to, to try and stop the, those lines of thinking before they get pretty far. So, yeah. I think you, you, you make a lot of good points about conviction in general, because I think one of the biggest sources of contention out there is the fact that that phrase up there, there are no absolutes, is uh, a lot of people find it easier to believe that than they find it to actually search some type of truth in their heart. They, it's so much easier to believe that, uh, well, whatever happens is going to happen, and it was ordained, and I can make it the point of me. So they've really kind of neutered the, the Bible in the way that God asks us some very strong things to do. You know, he doesn't say, sit and listen, and then apply it when applicable, he says. Lay down your nuts and come follow me. He says, if you're not, because you can't give up everything, then I don't want your anything. He said, he doesn't want our, our Sunday afternoons. He doesn't want our, you know, good face. He wants us when we're, you know, trying to go above 40 miles an hour in the 60 and people are cutting us off up there. He wants us that too. Um, but uh, my, the one thing that I always wonder a lot about is, uh, we, we use it to script the, uh, the uh, instance of someone, you know, coming to your door, uh, doing like door-to-door witnessing or something like that, and we're not supposed to, uh, you know, obviously aid them in their quest to convert people. But what, what would you say is a good way that we can show them the Christian love that God wants us to show them without, you know, trying to be too coddling and say, you know, let me just hear you, I'll just humor them, you know. Right. And then let them go on their way. What, what's, I mean, obviously that anything, pretty much anything not considered quote-unquote open-minded is called closed-minded. You know, if you don't accept everything as a possible truth, you're closed-minded to think of nowadays. Right. So what, what would you say is a way we can approach someone who's giving us a worldview that our faith does not agree with um, and still... I mean, I don't want to like, say remain, you know, a nice person, but you know, what's what's what, what's the best way to present that without? Well, you want to be at least civil with people, yeah. you know, when you're discussing something. Show them love at least. Um, presenting that. Sure, I think one of the best ways to do that is to become a narrow person, not a narrow-minded person. And I didn't understand that until um, this year. If if I was raised in a Christian family, um, if the only thing I was ever taught was Christianity. If the only thing I ever 
learned about was Christianity, and then someone comes to me trying to convert me to, to Mormonism or to Buddhism, and I say, oh, no, 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 I don't believe that. Well, why? Well, because I just don't. That's narrow-minded. But if you take the time to, to learn about all these other things, if you take the time to study Mormonism, to study Buddhism, to, to really dig in deep, to find out what they really believe about reality, about uh, what a person really is, about what happens to them after they die, um, all those things, and then you come to the understanding that, you know, that religious doesn't work out. You have just become a narrow person. There's nothing wrong with being a narrow person. Because when that person comes to your door now, now you can say, instead of, ah, oh, I don't believe it just because, I just don't like it. You can say, no, I've studied, I know what you're talking about. I'm familiar with all the arguments that you're making. I understand why you say that. But let me show you how, if you carry that as far as, as to, to its end, it just doesn't work. And in those kind of ways, you know, I see it as more of a coming alongside people um, and saying, it makes sense to me why you think this, because I understand what started it way back here. But you do, you got to realize that if you keep going down this road, this is where it's going to take you. Um, and in that way, becoming familiar with, with what people believe without believing it yourself. And that goes back to what you said earlier. Christianity is hard. It's very, very difficult. Um, because God does not ask for our Sundays. He does not ask for, you know, 10%. He asks for everything that we are, um, as much as we can possibly give him. And because of that, I think, um, you know, that's where we need to take the time to familiarize ourselves with all these things so that we can we can refute them. Paul knew, uh, he was familiar with the modern-day writings of, of the Greeks, of the poets, and when he went to Mars Hill, he was able to talk with them. He was able to use that as a jumping-off point to bridge the gap between his Jewish heritage and their pagan Greek heritage. And he was able to use that to bridge the gap and share share God with them, share Christ with them. I think in the same way, that's a perfect example of how we're supposed to be living our Christianity today. Uh, I know all too, all too many times in my own life I fall short of that, but that's the goal. And that's what I, I would like to strive for, and that's what I think we should be striving for. So... You know, I think you can remain civil if you if you try and if you understand it first of all and take the time to, to really search it out, and then try and come alongside people in those situations. And if they don't want to hear it, then you know, uh, the apostle did shake the dust off your feet and go somewhere else where you will be heard. But at least make the effort. And and beyond that, uh, again, you're not responsible for their response. So uh, in the nicest way that you can, in the most civil way that you can, share these things with them. Um, try and get them to see. How this just doesn't work, um, and it's nothing against them. It's just you know, it's okay to be. Uh, it's not okay to be intolerant of people, uh, but it is okay to be intolerant of ideas. And I think one of the mistakes that we've made in, in the society today is that if you don't like what I think, you don't like me. That's totally, totally a fallacy. It doesn't. That's not true. Ideas are. are we must be critical of ideas. We have to be, um, because. There are two ideas that go against each other. Only one of them can be true. But people, you know, that's a different story. So it's a very hard balance to strike, but I think that's the balance that we need to shoot for. Um, trying to encourage and, and to really, really genuinely and humbly share with people, um, but at the same time being highly critical of, of ideas and, and philosophies and teachings that we hear out there. So. Can I add something that's, that's a debate we've had amongst ourselves before? Yeah. While I agree with him in principle, I would interject that isn't it more practical, though, to have that one tool, which is the knowledge of the Bible, 
to refute those things. While it's, it's advantageous to have a, a knowledge of other religions, practically speaking, it's, it's to me, a lot more advantageous to, to know this word, which is living and sharper than any two-edged sword, sword. That is going to be what converts a person or captures a person, not, not my head knowledge of what they are trying to do, sure. if that makes sense. Sure. And because of that, let me just interject that this is the most important book that you can ever study, period. Um, there will never be anything more worthwhile uh, that you should put more of your time and effort into than this. But um, I would say, what about what about people who think that this is, is nonsense, yeah. who don't have any care in the world, you know, who think that this is just good for kindling? You have to be able to be familiar enough with them to get them to a point where they're searching. Uh, for instance, um, like you know this, I'm, I'm studying um, the Quran right now, um, going through it, making notes, um, finding things that don't add up, looking for, for ways to, to defend that. So that if I ever would come into contact with a Muslim, I would be able to show them from their own scriptures how their own belief system doesn't really jive. And once you get a person to the point where they're searching, now if you take away the foundation that they're standing on, they have no foundation, they need a foundation, this is where your exceptional knowledge of this comes in, and you can take that foundation, you can give it right under them, you can slide it under them. But we need to be able to bring people to a point where they're at least searching, and that's why we need to be at least familiar. Certainly, we don't need to know any other religion that quite as well as we know our own. Um, it's more important that we understand God's word, and it's more important that we understand how we're to live as Christians, and how we're to think and act as Christians, than, than how a Buddhist is supposed to think and act and live. But we need to be familiar enough with it to at least, you know, be able to bring them a little bit. Does that make sense? Great thing about the Bible is it will always defend itself. It's true. It's true. I've been a Christian for about two and a half years now. I did a lot of study of different religions like like the Baha'i, New Ageism, Taoism, Buddhism, even paganism. Christianity is the only real gospel out there that where Jesus said, where every preacher pretty much said, well, if you don't believe me, look at the word. And the word verified that. Uh, it didn't contradict itself. Uh, it, uh, the only uh, notes that were really like little things like, well, you know, was uh, uh, in the Garden of Eden was, you know, was, was a day to God, a thousand years, one year to us, stuff like that, never really took away from the message which was God's love. Yeah, and that's the thing, the, the discrepancies, the, the debates that people have, they don't change the central message. And that's the thing, like you said, I mean, I appreciate that Paul, the Apostle Paul, if anyone could make a claim that, don't ask questions, listen to what I'm telling you right now, you know, it's this is how it is, it could be Paul. And even Paul said um, to the Thessalonians, you need to be more like the Bereans, they didn't even take my word for it. You know, after I got done preaching, they went home, they looked through the scriptures to make sure that what I was saying was really what was in there. Um, and, and like you said, the Bible will defend itself, and, and we have that ability to be able to say, if you don't believe me, look, it's right here. Um, and that is unique, as you said, to Christianity. And that's one of the staples that we, that we can fall back on and rest on. Is that exactly? I don't know enough about other religions, unfortunately. I wish I did. I think you're, you, you carry a very good point. I think it was your father that said that Christianity was the only religion where people didn't rely on themselves for salvation, but they relied on God. It's true. And I, I think that 
that just really brings it together. You know, even if you didn't know a lot about somebody else's religion, you know, to just be able to say, and unfortunately you hear so many Christians that will tell you, well, I think I'm good enough. I think I'm doing the right things. I think when I die, God will say, you did enough good things. And you want to say, no, 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 no. Yeah. It, it has nothing to do with how good you were. It's your faith and belief in Jesus Christ and your belief that he rose and you know, died on the cross for our sins and, and rose again. You know, and it's just, I just think that, that that really crystallized it for me, that Christianity was the only religion that believed in, you know, your salvation is based on, on God, not yourself. I'd ask them if they read the book of Galatians recently. You know, it's that thing. Paul says it's not about works. You can't do anything. Right. Um, but, you know, exactly. Christianity is, is one of those things that it's all about what God's done for us, not what we can do for ourselves. Um, and really, after, after studying a lot, I've found that most religions are an effort to, because they don't like that, um, because they don't want to necessarily be accountable, or they just, it can't be like that, you know. Um, it's an effort to bridge that gaps in some way and, and through many, many different avenues, many, many different ways to come to a point where, aha, here we can, here's a way, here's a back door, here's a loophole, we can get it ourselves. Um, but it doesn't. It's, it's pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. It just doesn't work. Right. It just doesn't work. So, yes. Well, I've had non-believers come to me and say, uh, how do you know the Bible is true? What proof do you have? And I can come up with some things, but they're stuttered, and I'm not sure of myself. Could you maybe write on the board some ideas that, uh, you know, you say because of this, because of this, and like you said, the 22,000 manuscripts that are in the century Sure, absolutely. Okay. Um, if somebody asked you that question, what would be your company? I don't have... Uh, I don't have some of my notes with me um, from some of my classes this year, but I can give you what I remember off the top of my head. Uh, the first thing, as I just said, um, uh, you look at uh, other ancient writings uh, like Plato, um, the Iliad, um, Homer's Odyssey, those kind of things. You're going to find um, that most of those are, they're going to have manuscript as a copy that was made of the original, and then later a copy that was made of the copy. And um, you're going to find maybe at most um, 600 of those in existence today. I think that the one that has 600 is uh, 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 an ancient Greek historian, named, uh, either Hermes or Heraclitus, it starts with an H. Um, but these have far less, actually. Um, now, scripture that we have um, coming from other manuscripts and things, we have around 22,000 manuscripts in existence today. And, and the other thing is that these, um, usually, I think the earliest that we have these is... Um, this is probably going to be pretty uh, conservative. It's about a hundred years to three, four hundred years in some cases after the original, um, the earliest copies. With with these scriptures, we have within uh, I think it's fifty to sixty years of the originals, which means that a lot of the copies that were being made um, were being made 
sometimes, not always, within a generation or two. Um, sometimes, even while the original authors would have still been alive, which means that if there were discrepancies, they would have been able to uh, refute them and, and make the proper changes. Also, um, there are... Uh, also, with our scripture, it was, it was written, we need to remember, in the context of a Jewish society, which was very, very, very close-knit, um, highly, highly um, oral in their history and in their, um, in their tightness of community. And so, as, as is illustrated in, in history outside of Scripture, had there, if there was a discrepancy, it would have been uh, disputed. For instance, if Jesus had not risen from the dead, in a society as, as tightly knit and as closely connected as the Jewish society that day, if Jesus had not risen from the dead, that, that rumor would have been disputed and, and taken care of back in that generation um, because of the nature of, of the society back then. Uh, another reason that we can uh, look to Scripture as reliable uh, is, is that when our canon was first instituted, uh, and the same thing, our canon was uh, instituted, uh, the, meaning the Scriptures that we have um, today within uh, one century of the time of Christ, which again means that some sometimes the original authors would have still been alive, um, and other times it was very very close within a generation or two of when it. So when these were adopted as scripture, as authoritative, it was within uh, one century from when they were originally written. Uh, and so those are some of the just off the top of my head things, places that I would go to to try and defend scripture. Um, also, like you said, scripture defends itself. You won't find contradictions in scripture. You won't find saying one thing here, saying another thing here. Uh, that just doesn't happen in, in our in our in scripture. So, does that help at all? Yes, thank you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, another thing too is the way that scripture is written. It's written in a way where back in that time period was the writing style. Now, when you read a novel that says, you know. Uh, Mary went into the field, and then it goes and talks about the field, the, the smell of the field, the work of the field, this of the field, where the Bible just says Mary went into the field. So a lot of scripture is open so much to interpretation, there will always be debates about scripture until, I mean, until the sun dies and the, and the, and the moon, you know, goes black, there will be debates about scripture, about the smallest detail of scripture. Um, I think one thing that doesn't change and can't change is the overall message of what the word is saying. Uh, I know a lot of people, especially, uh, um, I really like theology, I really like philosophy, I really like uh, things like that, you know, so I get open to a lot of really fun discussions and debates. Um, one thing that's, that that a lot of people like, so you know, when to come to your house and try to talk to you, saying, well, what, how do you feel about this passage, how do you feel about this passage, well, just pretty much bring up passages that are open for contention just to debunk you just to startle you, just to make you choke on your tongue and stutter. Because the moment you say, I don't know, that's almost like you saying to them, okay, go ahead and think what I think is dumb. So, right. instead of necessarily, I mean, well, I think, you know, this is all correct because you say, my belief is that Jesus Christ was the Son of Man. He's a holy, sovereign uh, son, of, uh, son of God I mean, who died for my sins on the cross. You know, I'd love to sit down and study the Word with you if you want. If you want to go over it, we can talk about what we think it means. But 
but uh, my beliefs are this. This is what I believe. This is what's my core and my belief, because that's not something that can be argued. Right. And that goes back to what John said, um, what, what Paul has said. You can talk about these things, and if people have questions and are genuinely searching, then, then you know, I would say you're more than welcome to, to discuss these things with people. But if people are just trying to start contention, if they're just trying to, to pick a fight, to start an argument, um, then you're really, it's, it's not going to accomplish anything, and it's, it's pretty useless. Um, but like you said, like even like John says, the central uh, belief behind what we believe, our faith, is who Jesus Christ was. And that will not change, no matter how many discrepancies, no matter any debates and arguments there are about the finer, um, you know, theological points in, uh, in, in, you know, scriptures in the Old Testament and, and what certain prophecies meant. And, uh, who Jesus is, what he did, uh, how he came, how he left, is exactly what we need to focus on. Um, and beyond that, you know, if people can't get around that, I would say too, the resurrection is probably the the central sticking point you always want to take people back to because if Jesus rose from the dead then nothing else really matters you know um, if he if he got out of there you know I'm not really going to need to waste my time talking about a whole lot else that kind of speaks for itself when I got you know out of the tomb isn't it true that there are something like a hundred eyewitnesses to Jesus after he rose uh, I'm trying to remember. It's in turn to Acts. Almost 500? Okay, I knew it was a large number. It's in the very beginning of Acts. That's okay. I just want to mention again, I've learned so much from your father. One of the points that he made that I thought was really telling was that there are 2,500 approximately prophecies uh, in the Bible that already about 2,000 or so have come true. And he talked about a, um, a scientist at the uh, rocket laboratory um, in California that, that did this little research on just eight prophecies of Jesus that came true, where they actually have physical proof and written proof yeah. that these eight prophecies of Jesus from the Old Testament came true in the New Testament. And he said, you know, the chance of that happening, this scientist took a look at the chance of that happening, and he said it, the chance of that happening is the same chance as if you put um, four feet worth of quarters all over the surface of Texas and then put one red quarter into that same area and then had a blind man go into the state of Texas with all those quarters and on the first try grab that red quarter. Exactly. <laughs> so then this was a scientist at the uh, Proportional Laboratories that right. came up with this. Right. And you know, those kinds of things are just undisputable. That makes me think another point uh, for the reliability of scriptures is exactly that. There are histories, histories, um, Josephus, uh, uh, Heraclitus, non, non-Christian, Greek and Roman uh, and Jewish historians who are not affiliated with Scripture in any way, uh, science as well, who corroborate the message of Scripture. Um, so it's not just Scripture corroborating Scripture. There is you know, science and history outside of that that also corroborates our Scriptures. Um, Should we think Jesus Christ? Oh, Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I'm having trouble finding this. Does anybody else? 
find that in Acts? I know it says here in um, in one three. One and fifteen. That's uh, one fifteen is after uh, the replacement twelfth uh, disciple is chosen, uh, or that's during that time when they're back in the city. So Jesus is already um, already uh, ascended at that point. All right, in one three it says to the same apostles. Also, after his suffering, he presented himself alive with many convincing proofs. He was seen by them over a forty day period and spoke about matters concerning the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, I can't remember where I read it. I thought it was in the beginning of Acts, but I'll have to double check. That's a that's a gathering of the believers after Christ has already ascended um, in Jerusalem to pick a new. Yeah. Uh, interesting that you uh, talked about uh, yoga and all the roots of all that uh, just uh, within the last few days on, uh, probably one of the cable news channels or something they were talking about the way uh, uh, Chris, Christian groups are using yoga as a yeah. method of exercise in their you know, quoting scriptures and singing hymns and whatever while they're doing it and whatever, but it, it just kind of, you know, brings back this whole, you know, syncretism type thing that's uh, essentially what the Ephesians were experiencing yeah, exactly. and it's been going on forever. And I think that's unfortunate because you look at, um, well, I mean, you really have to beg the question, it, what is the difference between a person sitting on the ground like this, chanting, you know, X twenty thirty two, and someone sitting on the ground like this chanting Om. It's a mantra, just like, just like the Hindus have a mantra, just like the Buddhists have mantras. It, it's not any different um, in its essence. You're doing the same thing. Um, we are commanded in Scripture to take Scripture, to hide it in our hearts, to to bring about life change, not to say it so many times that you have it stuck in your head, you know, because there's a difference between knowing something and doing something, you know, and we're called to know it so that we can do something about it, not to know it for the sake of knowing it. Yes? Do you know if karate is like that? Uh, I know that there are some forms of martial arts that um, that are based on uh, animism, Shinto, uh, Japanese ancestral beliefs. Uh, yeah, so I would want to know what the person who's teaching it really believes about it. Um, now certainly... I was involved in kickboxing last year for a while uh, as a form of exercise, um, but that's because I don't believe that there's anything um, mystic or, or uh, fundamentally contradictory to Christianity about um, self-defense. And on the other hand, if there's a belief system in place behind whatever form of, of martial arts that there is, uh, for instance, you know, meditation or becoming, focusing your, your chi energy or anything like that, then that's going to be a problem. So I would just need, uh, you probably want to get more information on that and anything that... Well, how do you, okay, I'm, I'm a new Christian, so... Okay. 
I can't go and talk to somebody not with I mean, I can't. Um, well, I know as far as worldviews go, there are four basic questions that you can ask someone to pretty quickly determine how they look at the world. Um, the first is, what is ultimate reality? What What is the highest thing that there is? Um, is it God? Is it is it me? Is it, you know, what else? Is it this thing that no one knows about? Uh, the other one is, um, what is the nature of reality as we know it? Like, what is this? Is this an illusion, as the Buddhists would say? Is this um, all there is, as, as evolutionists would say? Or is this just creation, as you know, Christians would say? What is this? How do you explain this? The third is, what is a human being? Um, as a naturalist or an evolutionist would say, are we just a machine? Are we just an animal that lives, dies, and just ceases to exist? Um, are we uh, created in the image of God for a higher purpose? Um, or are we, you know... Something, some spirit, you know, wandering the earth or whatever, as, as other belief systems would say. And then the fourth one is, what happens to a person when they die? Um, is there eternity? Is, is there, what kind of eternity is it? Um, and so if you really want to know what a person believes, because what a person believes is going to affect everything else they do. Even if they don't teach that to students or whatever, okay. it's going to influence it in some way, shape, or form. So those, that would be where I would start. Those are four uh, quick and, and pretty deep-rooted questions. In fact, I don't think you can really ask questions more deeply rooted than those things. Um, and how a person answers those are, are pretty quickly going to tell you what they believe, um, where they're coming from. And if they're coming from a, you know, I don't, I think that everything is all one and that, you know, when we die, we become part of the one. You know, like, that's, that's pretty Eastern. Uh, and that's going to tell you that they're probably going to focus on energies and chi and aligning those things through karate, you know, that kind of thing. And I want to stay away from those. So, but if it's purely, you know, to know how to get a guy off you, if he, you know, attacks you when you're going to your car some night, then that's, absolutely, go for it. But, you know, there's a fundamental difference there. So. And I think the same thing is true with yoga. If you're doing yoga as a stretching exercise, I mean, I wasn't an ashram. I know what, you know, what, what yoga is and can be. Right. But if you're doing it and your mind you know where you stand and you're doing it as exercise and that person is not mentally bringing you into it on any religious level. And it is just exercise. I think there's a difference that, that you know, is, is very obvious. I mean, from having been in an ashram and seeing them try to get you into the cosmic unity right. and all of that, exactly. it's very different from, you know, stretching and doing, you know, position. And right. There's none of, the, none of the spiritual part right. being added to it. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, there are, there are physical trainers at... at you know, LA Fitness that can teach you stretches if you want to know how to stretch. Um, so there, you know, there's a, like I said before, there's a fundamental difference between the purpose, purpose. of something like yoga and the purpose of something like stretching. So uh, I think that's about all we're going to have time for. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Yeah, let's close in prayer real quick and just be dismissed. Father God, thank you so much for this uh, this night. Thank you so much for your word, for uh, how reliable it is that, God, we can base our lives on it, that what you say uh, is truth. And thank you so much for being who you are, just for um, providing us the knowledge uh, and the wisdom to to be able to defend what you've, what you've given us, what you've taught us. Uh, Father, I pray that we would take that opportunity, that we would seek to uh, love you with all of our mind and our heart and our soul, uh, that we would not 
check our brains at the door with our Christianity of God, but that it would be something that we take very seriously and that, God, it might be a little bit of hard work, but that it's worth it uh, if it means uh, being able to help those uh, around us who are lost in this world come to a saving knowledge of you, Father. Um, so I pray that you would just help us to grow in wisdom, that you would strengthen our resolve to, to study, to, to know these things, that we might be more effective witnesses for you. And we pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you.